Welcome to the Average Saint Podcast, where we help the average saint live out their extraordinary calling in Jesus Christ. This is episode 29. My name is Jason. I'm the pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church here in Edmonton. And from time to time, I like to take an episode to share some pastoral reflections, some perspectives on current issues. And today I'm taking some time to share with you reflections on navigating a post-COVID age. After 15 months, it looks like our COVID chains are finally starting to come off. The recent announcement made by our Alberta government has us opening up by July, Lord willing. Now, while this was welcome news to many, I've been surprised to hear that many are not ready to return to a life without health restrictions. One colleague remarked that even while people could gather in larger groups, some just aren't ready. Recently, an article from McLean Hospital, which is the largest teaching hospital of Harvard Medical School, observed that people were afraid to go back to normal. I quote, Even if a person has not been very afraid of coronavirus, they have effectively acted fearful by following lockdown orders. End quote. And this speaks to how powerfully our behaviors can influence our thinking and our feeling. Psychologists are calling this COVID anxiety syndrome. It's defined as the inability to leave the house because of COVID-19 fears, frequent checking for symptoms despite not being in a high-risk scenario, and avoiding social situations or people. This is tragic. After more than a year of being robbed of freedoms and drowned in fear, some people want to stay isolated and are remaining afraid Interestingly, psychologists note that the symptoms of COVID anxiety syndrome mimic those of other mental health conditions, such as anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, and obsessive-compulsive disorder. This crippling fear that remained reminded me of something that reflected the kind of stress one experiences when escaping a cult. So it got me thinking. What are the main behavioral features of belonging to a cult, and how do they relate to the shared experience of society over the course of the pandemic? As I considered that question, I found some disturbing similarities between the aspects of cult behavior and what we have endured over the last 15 months. So I'd like to take a look at some of the similarities and then give you some solutions for navigating our way out and through it as the average saints. Here are eight main aspects of cult behavior. First, cults are opposed to critical thinking. Any facts that might contradict the group's belief system are avoided or denied. It is the organizational structure of the cult that interprets facts to the cultists, and rational evaluation is avoided. Interestingly, over the course of the last 15 months, we have Seeing this take place, facts and criticisms that challenge the official narrative have been opposed and censored. The fact-checkers have been working overtime. All the while, we have leading experts from Stanford, Harvard, and Yale, which have all been dismissed in favor of the mainstream narrative that has been accepted as approved dogma. We even have local experts long established in their fields, like Dr. Hodkinson and Dr. Jaffe, who have been dismissed as fringe. This is not without disturbing effect. 
I've personally experienced the cognitive dissonance of several people who are fully vaccinated and yet continue to wear a mask, sometimes two. The second aspect of cult behavior is this. Cults demand unquestioning submission to a single authoritative person or a small group who creates the rules. For the last 15 months, we have been at the mercy of a very small group of decision makers who have erected some 150 restrictions or recommendations and whose authority has been shielded from scrutiny and even accountability. Unelected health officials and small councils have made the rules for everyone, yet the Alberta government has yet to produce in court any scientific rationale for their approaches. We are simply told to, quote, trust the science, end quote. And so this leads us to the third aspect of cult behavior. Cults emphasize special doctrines or knowledge. Now, we've been told throughout the last 15 months to trust the science. Trust the science on masks, on lockdowns, social distancing, limiting church gatherings, and so on and so forth. So, some have said, great, show us the science. But then they're told, no, we have not enough time to compile it. This is humorous if it were not so tragic. As John Carpe from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms recently noted, the government has had over a year to put together a scientific and medical basis to justify its violations of our fundamental charter freedoms. Yet when asked to do so in court, the government requested an adjournment for more time to assemble its evidence. Now, I'm not a poker player but that seems like bluffing to me. The fourth aspect of cult behavior is this. Cults enforce groupthink. The policies handed down by those in authority have been enforced, sometimes with severe fines, while those who behave properly are lauded as heroes and rewarded. This has taken place throughout every level of society, especially within the medical community. Dissenting voices have been shunned, vilified, censored, and canceled, if not in alignment with the group. This is cultish. The fifth aspect of cult behavior. Cults emphasize community over the comfort or desire of the individual. We have all heard the refrain time and time again, we're all in this together, and stay at home, save lives. And now, get vaccinated so we can all go back to normal. Or even better, on a recent billboard, love your neighbor, get vaccinated. Wow. This has been drummed into us through the media. Yet from the actions of several members of our political elite, it's clear that we're not all in this together. The needs of the individual have been harmfully ignored. For some individuals to stay at home means no escape from abuse. To stay at home means no escape from isolation or depression. Additionally, and most recently, the push for everybody to get a vaccine has been downright coercive. 70% of Albertans over the age of 12 need to get a vaccine for Albertans to have their God-given freedoms returned? It's disturbing that more people don't see the problem here. Even today in Toronto, a 12-year-old girl can get a vaccine without parental consent. 
Someone recently asked if I had taken the vaccine, and I responded by saying, well, no, I don't really need it since I'm healthy, and I'd rather somebody else benefit from it who actually needs it. The response of that individual was surprising because they responded quite angrily. Don't you want us to get back to normal? Sure, I replied. But how does a healthy person getting a vaccine help? Some people don't need the vaccine. Others don't want it, while others can't get it. And yet, for some to refuse it is to be considered an enemy of the community. This is cultish. The sixth aspect of cult behavior is that cults isolate people from others. AHS has isolated literally everyone to varying degrees for 15 months. On the top of that list are some of the elderly who were isolated against their will. And now even some family members are refusing to see other family members unless they are vaccinated. And still no social gatherings are allowed until stage three. The seventh aspect of cult behavior is that cults monitor and control work. They control social activity. Again, this has been the case for the entire population for the last 15 months. Restaurants have been tightly controlled with some of them collapsing into bankruptcy. Every work environment has undergone some radical restructuring. While some have worked from home, business owners have been tightly monitored and controlled and social activity even within one's own home and with one's own family members has been controlled and monitored. Last but definitely not least, churches have been controlled and monitored while being arbitrarily limited in their gatherings. Some church buildings have been fenced off, and this should greatly concern the saints. Finally, the eighth aspect of cult behavior is that cults demand specific standards for appearance. A common appearance must be maintained by the cultist. Over the course of the last 15 months, we have seen widespread masking become the mark of good citizenship. And if you don't believe me, try going without a mask for a week and take note of the ridicule and opposition you receive. While many think wearing masks is ridiculous, they simply do not want to deal with the ridicule or the fines that they would face if they would take it off. Now, these eight behavioral aspects of cults are strikingly similar to what society has experienced over the last 15 months. COVID restrictions, mandates, the whole narrative has morphed into a cult of safety. To oppose that cult is met with irrational fear, sometimes even hate. I have known of family members who have informed AHS on their own family members who are trying to have a small funeral to grieve the loss of a loved one. Church members have informed on their own churches for non-compliance with health mandates. Neighbors have reported other neighbors for having family meals. And the list goes on. Sadly, even after much of the population has been vaccinated or developed natural defenses against the virus, I believe that this cult will likely mutate into variants of concern and survive. So what should the response then of the average saint be when echoes of fear remain throughout our society? What do we do to be salt and light here and to minister to our neighbors? Well, 
I'd like to suggest to you seven things. The first is simple. Show compassion. People made in the image of God are scared by the events of the last 15 months. I still know of extended family members who have yet to leave their home. And so compassion is needed. I'd recommend listening more first and asking more questions rather than immediately jumping into facts and arguments. There's obviously a place for that, but people don't think straight when they are afraid. And so pray for those who are fearful. Listen to them and then give them the better hope than a vaccine. Give them the gospel. Second, don't compromise. Let's not find ourselves compromising with the cult of the day. As average saints, we are to seek justice and to speak truth. We understand that cults are destructive. But sadly, much of the church has inadvertently contributed to the formation of the COVID cult. How? Well, by going along with the mainstream narrative that COVID is a terrifying threat. This makes one complicit in the cult. A virus with a 99.96% recovery rate is not a terrifying threat to all of society. Passively accepting and approving the mainstream narrative of the COVID cult is to be complicit and complacent in one of the greatest injustices hosted on modern society. That is unloving and unjust. It's time that we see that the response to the virus is the real threat. Third, stop supporting lockdowns. To deprive a person of gainful employment is unjust, according to God's standard. We read in the Law of Moses, No one shall take a mill or a upper millstone in a pledge, for that would be taking a life in a pledge. That's Deuteronomy 24, verse 6. Now, what does that mean? Well, a millstone was used to grind grain, to either sell it or to make food for oneself. It was a tool to make a living. So if you take away a person's means of providing for themselves and their family, you commit an injustice and jeopardize their life. Taking away people's means of work through shutdown measures and mandatory isolation even for the healthy, forcing businesses to operate at a quarter capacity, while throwing business owners in jail for the crime of making a living, are all gross injustices in God's sight. Fourth, we need to stop supporting the isolation of healthy people. This is unnecessary, unhelpful, and unwise. Before anybody could even conceive of microbiological organisms, God instructed his people to isolate the sick for a period of 14 days, but never to isolate the healthy. The great physician surely knows a thing or two about how the universe he made is put together. And for the sake of the flourishing of his people, he told them to trust him on this one. In contrast, the idea of isolating the healthy for fear of asymptomatic spread is a departure from the wisdom of God. To put the healthy on a type of house arrest for a virus that a vast majority survive is disproportionate and destructive. And as saints, we know that life is about much more than avoiding risk. Fifth, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, we need to be truly good citizens of Canada. 
and uphold its charter. These restrictions over the last 15 months violate the highest law in the land, humanly speaking. That is, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. We as average saints are in fact dual citizens of heaven and of Canada, and so we are to seek justice here. Our Charter acknowledges the supremacy of God, that rights come from beyond the government. Government can only suspend those rights when it's reasonably justified in a free and democratic society. Yet the suspensions of our neighbor's rights have never been reasonably justified, only assumed by the dominant narrative. Now, some may say, well, the government is responsible for our safety. Well, where do you find that in Scripture? Strictly speaking, the government has not been given authority over individual or national health care, period. That is actually a modern Canadian concept, not a biblical one. It is rooted in the framework of the socialism that we have adopted. Now, some will object and say, well, what about being a good witness? I mean, taking steps like these will obviously seem reckless to others. Well, that's a fair question. And so let's consider the greatest witness who ever walked the face of the planet, Jesus. Jesus, as God incarnate, was the perfect witness who obeyed his Father perfectly, and yet they slandered and reviled him. He cast out demons and was accused of being in league with Lucifer. He exposed the man-centered traditions of his day, and they hated him for it. And so we need to be careful that we don't get confused about being a good witness. Being a good witness doesn't mean that we are approved by a godless world. Obedience to Christ is rarely understood favorably by a godless culture. As a Christian, I hate to tell you, but you should know this already, you're already looked at as being not only backwards, but a threat to modern society on several major issues, be it human sexuality, abortion, same-sex marriage, gender reassignment, and so on. And so if you're looking to be thought well of by the world as a Christian, by aligning with the world's narratives and values, you're already a poor witness. Sixth, we need to stop placing physical safety over faithfulness to Christ. We are to be those who obey Christ above all, and those who lay our life down for our brothers. Jesus exposed his disciples to much risk in ministry, and he went out of his way to touch the sick and the untouchables to heal them. There is no command given by Christ that is conditional based on the level of risk involved. Now, of course, we can be wise in our conduct to limit risk, but following Christ involves embracing risk. Safety isn't our goal. Faithfulness is. And this leads us to our last, the seventh. Don't deny the resurrection. As average saints, we hold that the gospel is the cure to sin and death itself. We are a people who know that a person's life is much more than their biological functions. We know that there is an eternal heaven or hell as a destiny for all souls. 
we have both a hope in the resurrection and the good news of Jesus Christ that rescues people from sin and the fear of death itself. And therefore, we cannot adopt the myopic and materialistic worldview of those without hope in Christ as we minister to others. Let me put it to you this way. If there is no resurrection, then let us eat and drink and isolate and vaccinate and mask for tomorrow we die. But yet there is a resurrection in Jesus, and that is a far greater protection against despair and death than any vaccine can offer. The question that you and I need to ask ourselves is this, do our lives display that resurrection hope, or do we look like the rest of the world. It has been said that a fearful world needs a fearless church, and I pray that by God's grace, we would be granted the courage to walk faithfully with Christ, even in this age of fear. May we trust him and follow him courageously in an age of deceit.